The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So good morning, good day, hello, all of you joining us on the fifth and the last day of this series that I'm doing on these um, letters from Mara to the leaders of his 10 armies. Mara, as many of you know, is this character that we find in the Buddhist teachings. And I'm not concerning myself with exactly what Mara is or how he works. I'm just uh, inspired maybe by some of the things that are getting pointed out in these letters from Mara to his uh, armies are often topics that we don't talk about so much in Buddhist teachings and Dharma talks. And yet these things that are Mara that get personified as Mara are things that get in the way things that might hinder us or obstruct us in our ways towards freedom. And then to be sure, these letters from Mara are nowhere in the Pali Canon. These were written by Ajahn Punadamo in the Arrow River Forest Hermitage up in northern Ontario. And so in the Pali Canon, we do find just a mention that Mara has these 10 armies. And then Ajahn Punadamo, who's in the Ajahn Chah lineage, uh, kind of set in contemporary times these letters, which I think are delightful and a little bit cutting just in the way that they're pointing to in a way that feels a little bit uncomfortable sometimes, this human experience. So I've been excerpting uh, portions of these letters, and I will be especially be doing that for this last one that I'm doing today, which is a long letter and has a number of different uh, subcategories to it, but I'll just be pointing to one. And the army that's being pointed to today in this letter from Mara is the 10th army, which often gets uh, translated as self Praise and denigration of others. But I'll just be looking at a little portion of that. So here's this letter, an excerpt that's written by Ajahn Punidamo. To my bold and powerful 10th army, greetings. Your task is crucial, yet fortunately for us, it is also easy. Generally, humans have a most unreasonable attitude of taking themselves quite seriously. They seem quite unable to mentally disengage from the ego perspective. Let them think of themselves as truly wonderful and righteous. Fill them up with pride. This is the task of you, the first division of the 10th army. Self-praise fuels all the defilements. It is a masterwork of delusion. Humans look into the mirror with rose-colored glasses. They become quite unable to see their own faults and bristle with indignation whenever these are pointed out to them. And self-praise, of course, also fuels attachment and sensuality. After all, doesn't someone as wonderful as me deserve a little fun? Self-praise also fires up anger, the fierce anger of the self-righteous who knows their views and opinions are correct 
and everyone else is an idiot. It's also, it's so amusing to watch two humans' egos clash. The forces of the 10th Army have a special role to play in these difficult cases where an individual shows signs of spiritual progress. If they begin to free themselves of the coarser snares of my other armies, we can often use their own victories against them by encouraging a spiritual pride and arrogance. Whisper in their ear about what wonderful spiritual beings they are. Look at me, the great holy person. This is a trap that has caught many fish. However, you should be aware that there's also a large number of humans that have a very negative self-image. Both the positive and the negative versions suit our purposes quite well. So if you cannot convince them that they are wonderful, then encourage them to kick themselves for being such losers. Remember, there are three kinds of conceit. I am better than you. I am worse than you. And I am equal to you. Any one of these is still a conceit and still reinforces duality. In fact, there are signs that in the modern culture, the negative form has become predominant and a great many humans don't like themselves very much. Encourage them in the opinion that they are, as individuals, inadequate. Wow, ouch, right? This is like so painful to hear, like this idea that uh, there's this Mara creature, quote unquote, out there who is encouraging humans to feel like they're inadequate as a way to obstruct their spiritual progress as a way to get in the way of having greater freedom, greater ease, and greater peace. And we don't need to imagine this mythic Mara Mara character to recognize the role of the inner critic that it might have in our lives. Not everybody has this as a dominant or obvious feature, but many of us do. So this inner critic is almost like a sub-personality that's inside of us that's constantly putting us down or belittling us and with self-judgment or blaming ourselves, nagging at ourselves, having this sense of shame for who we are and how we do things with this quality of harshness. And when this inner critic is up and running, it's not always there, but when it is, there's this feeling of inadequacy, this sense of not being enough. I'm not worthy. Who I am or how I am is not enough somehow. And there's so much pain, so much dukkha that is caught up in this structure. And for some people, it's such a prevalent and ongoing part of their inner experience. It might even be difficult to conceive that it might be otherwise. And some people feel like it's just them. They feel like everybody else must have it together. Everybody except me. But I assure you, this is such a prevalent form of 
one's inner life. And it's important to know that we're not alone in this, right? It's even written by Ajahn Punadamo, which I think his letters were written a number of decades ago. So it's understandable that people have this inner critic. We learn it from society, from family, from school. But it's important to not blame ourselves for having this dynamic as part of our inner life, right? That's just the inner critic trying to pretend that it's not the inner critic. Because the inner critic always shows up using the first-person pronouns, I'm not good enough. I need to do more. So it's difficult to recognize. You might think like, oh, this is just the way it is, but it's just the inner critic. And you might even ask yourself right now, what is the picture you hold in your mind about how you're supposed to be? Do you have this sense of how you're supposed to, quote unquote, supposed to be? Is there like this unnoticed image propelling you towards this idea that you must have a certain appearance or status or livelihood or you have to be charming or funny or lively or intelligent, like all these things? You might even say with regarding to meditation, is there a picture in your mind of how you should be when you meditate or because you're a meditator, you might have this idea, oh, yeah, I should always be peaceful and calm and wise, never having anger or sadness or anything like this. So without any judgment, without any judgment at all, can we notice what are some of these ideas or pictures in our minds? Because we want to step out of this tendency for the inner critic to judge and evaluate us and instead to like step into curiosity, noticing, allowing. And this is the way that we can work with this inner critic. It's with this openness, this curiosity, this allowing, this warmth. So, Some ways might be to do some loving kindness practice. So bringing some kindness into our mindfulness practice and to give the inner critic some space, right? Because if we're trying to get rid of it or make it be different, then that's just the inner critic showing up to trying to pretend it's something else working on the inner critic. So we might do some loving kindness practice, some of the deep friendliness towards ourselves, We might imbue our meditation practice. And to be sure, when the machinery of the inner critic is up and running, it might feel like there's like loving kindness is ridiculous. I can't even do that. That's not what's going to help. But just this recognition that when the inner critic is up and running and we believe it, when it has a certain authority to it, to recognize that that is just the one perception at that moment. That's like the mood at that moment. It's not truth. Even though it's trying to be very persuasive. But instead, it's the thoughts of the inner critic is just this 
tight, habitual way, thinking about things. And some loving kindness practice allows us to set up these different habits of thinking, different orbits of thinking. And when these alternative different constellations of thoughts and experiences arise, the inner critic just runs out of energy. It just loses its power. So it's not that we have to get rid of the inner critic. It's more that we're just fueling, cultivating, developing alternative. But then the inner critic just kind of drains itself of its authority. So one way to work with the inner critic is with loving kindness practice. In any way that feels appropriate and nourishing, be careful. Sometimes the inner critic gets in there with loving kindness. So it might be just loving kindness only where it's easy. Only where it's easy. The second thing we can do with loving, I'm sorry, with working with the inner critic is to bring mindfulness with some kindness. And in particular, I would say mindfulness of the body. Bringing into the tangible felt experience of this moment with some kindness, some openness, some spaciousness, allowing that again will drain some of the authority or momentum behind this inner critic. So can we just let the inner critic be there? Recognize it's there and cultivate loving kindness and cultivate mindfulness of the body with some warmth and spaciousness. So with that, we end our series on letters from Mara, where I looked at a subset of the letters and excerpted some of these letters from Ajahn Pundamo. And I wish you all a wonderful weekend. Thank you.